The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Thursday, June 16th for reference. Um, Like I said last couple times, the episodes are kind of like a little out of whack when we're recording them because Olivia officially has her big U.S. trip coming up, what, next week? Yeah, Tuesday. So it's Friday here. So literally just a few days away before we fly out. Finally, I'm actually getting excited because it really seems like it's going to happen. I've probably jinxed it now, but um, <laughs> barring, you know, some worldwide catastrophe, it feels like it's going to happen this time. At this rate, you, you never know. Normally a worldwide <laughs> catastrophe is pretty far oh off. Oh my but... God, I know. <laughs> yeah. After the last few years, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. It's like nuclear war? Okay. <laughs> God. So yeah, it. getting excited. The ki- I've finished work for a month now. The kids have got to like a uh, Friday here of school and Monday and then we're going to an airport hotel for our early Tuesday flight so very and they excited. still don't know where still don't going. know still don't know oh my god <laughs> when are you gonna tell them oh probably my husband really wants to tell them at the airport like when we're at the airport going to check in for the flight um yeah, yeah I don't know I, I'm a bit up in the air because I feel like it's such a long flight like it's 14 hours on a plane they which mentally never... prepare themselves <laughs> yeah exactly like you know prep them and because imagine just getting to the airport and thinking you're going on a one-hour flight and you're like hey actually 14 hours <laughs> yeah I mean like um, I know they're not like will you get wi-fi on the plane Probably I don't know there's there's um I don't know usually and anytime I've been on a plane with wi-fi it's pretty spotty and awful anyway but there's like in-flight entertainment on the TV. They're like, and that's fine. They've got iPads and, you know, I'm hoping yeah, they'll gonna... sleep part of the way anyway. But, um, yeah, it's – I was yeah. going to say, like, if I was, like, surprised with, like, a 14-hour flight, like, I'd want to know in advance because I'd want me to download, like, a book to read or, like, a show to watch because <laughs> if you don't have good Wi-Fi, it's harder to, like, stream them. Yeah, and Delilah, my oldest daughter, told me the other day that she's downloaded some um, non-internet games on her iPad, so that's good. So. Smart. Maybe I'll encourage that over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, like just in case. We might have to wait in the airport for a long time. And because my little one, she's not a real big iPad user and she's like, I don't, I'm not even going to charge my iPad. <laughs> I'm like, maybe you should. What if we get stuck at the airport and are delayed and we have nothing to do? Maybe you Jokes really should on just you. charge it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah, getting there. I've got to pack on the weekend. I'm pretty feeling organized though, so fingers crossed. But when this episode comes out, you'll already be here. Yeah, probably halfway through our holiday there, maybe around when this comes out. So, yeah, so we'll get the we'll get the big update when you come back. So, <laughs> very exciting. I don't have anything exciting. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I know I've already complained enough. Well, oh, if anyone's wondering about the the bridal shower, it was a big success. Oh uh, yes, um, yes. This will be this will come out a bit after. I'll be closer to the bachelorette party when this comes out so a whole new stress but bridal shower was good uh i decorated the balloons we made a balloon arch which was a pain but amazing thank you it wasn't as bad as i thought it would be i'm always like i'd be a great party planner but then i'm like i hate talking to people so maybe not for me (laughs) and i hate dealing with people generally (laughs) yeah that's what i mean like i like the planning part and like the decorating and like organizing and like making little tables and charts but then when I'd have to like talk to like vendors or clients I'd be like no no thank you (laughs) 
delegate that part. <laughs> yeah, my assistance. <laughs> Anyone who's wondering, the cats are here. They're situated for once. I put Peep's bed on the desk. So she is snuggled in her bed right next to me, already sleeping. I'm sure she'll get disruptive halfway through. And Freshbutt is sleeping on the other side of me in the window. So <laughs> hopefully they won't cause much calamity. Hopefully less interruptions than last week's chaos. All right, so we'll get right into it, starting with Delphi. I think we all know that case. Um, if you've been with us, that was like our origin story. Yeah. And just to refresh a little, if Delphi doesn't ring a bell to you, that's the one with teens. Libby German and Abigail Williams, they were murdered in 2017 in Delphi, Indiana. Nobody's been charged with their deaths. That's the one with um, the guy walking on the bridge and she caught it on her cell phone. Um, a lot of mystery to it because we have his voice, his pictures, but no idea who the person is, maybe. Last year, they were questioning a guy named Keegan Klein about um, his link to an AIM, not AIM, oh my god, AIM, <laughs> AOL Instant Messenger. No, like, a, what was it, Snapchat? A Snapchat profile and Instagram. Instagram, and, yeah. Yeah, Anthony Schatz. So he was linked to this account, this guy Keegan Klein. He had some um, like child pornography type charges that he was in jail for. So some more information came out about him as well. In So in May 2022, Becky Patty, which is Libby's grandmother and like her primary caretaker, she said, I know for a fact this Anthony underscore shots account did have contact with Libby. She told Fox News senior correspondent Laura Ingle. Um, she said, I feel that he knows more than he says. Becky also said that finding out about Libby's social media interaction was a real shock and that it made her realize that she didn't monitor her phone or social media enough. She also said that there is DNA evidence connected to the murders, but she didn't elaborate on what that was, which um, the DNA has always kind of been a big talking point for everyone because police have kind of always danced around whether they have DNA of the killers, if they don't, what they have. And it's always kind of seemed like they may not because like, when everyone thought it was Daniel Nations or even how everyone thinks it's Keegan Klein now, it seems like they should be able to easily rule them out if they had this DNA evidence. Yeah, I suspect that they may not have a whole lot of DNA evidence. Yeah, I, I'm also skeptical about that. Well, I know in, the one thing that always stuck with me is in one interview, um, one of the main officers did with Alexis McAdams a while ago. They said she, when she specifically asked them, she was like, well, we have a lot of DNA from the scene, but we're still trying to figure out whose is whose. So yeah. it's like it was a big scene. The searchers walked all over it. So they probably have tons of different DNA samples. And maybe they don't know if they have the killers, don't know who the killer is. So I remember they said they were trying to like rule people out. Either way, it doesn't sound overly promising. Mm. Another thing that came out has to do with kind of with Ron Logan. Um, Ron Logan is the owner of the property the girl's bodies were found on. He's kind of just like a crotchety old guy. He's since passed away, but for a long time, people were very suspicious of him. Um, he was like lying to the police for some reason. And in the end, it ended up being he was lying because he was violating his probation because he had a few DUIs and wasn't supposed to be drinking or driving. And he was doing both of those things during this time. So he was trying to hide that. And since the girls were murdered on his property, the police wanted to get a search warrant for it. So some more information came out from this like search warrant request. So their bodies were found 1,400 feet from his home. And the search warrant was made public last month in May 2022. 
an FBI agent wrote in the document that she had probable cause to search Ron Logan's property in connection with the murders and believed evidence may be there on his property. The agent wanted to search Logan's home, the outbuildings, and vehicle for anything pertaining to the teen's murders, including forensic evidence, hair, bodily fluids, guns, and cutting instruments, which is interesting. The FBI also saw electronic devices and storage media, according to the warrant. So one interesting part of um, the warrant is that said a large amount of blood was lost by the victims at the crime scene. Um, Because of the amount of blood, investigators believe that the perpetrator would have gotten blood on their hands or clothing. And the reason some of this stuff is interesting, even though it's kind of like basic information, is just because we the people the public have never known anything about the crime scene they've always been very very tight-lipped about it so even just hearing any little things like this is like oh wow yeah they also said the murderer likely took a souvenir from the crime scene according to the document and quote appeared the girl's bodies were moved and staged they redacted the search warrant and didn't specify what was missing and noted that the rest of their clothing was recovered there were no signs of a struggle or fight so it seems like some sort of clothing of the girls one of the girls might have been missing and also there's kind of debate on what moved and staged means i always know there's always rumors that the girls like could have been taken and killed somewhere else and brought back and dumped which i personally never thought i thought they were probably killed right there because moved and staged could mean they were moved but i feel like what they mean is the bodies were positioned what do you think yeah yeah, I agree. Like, I know that there was always rumors too about what was found at the crime scene. Like, there was rumors that there wasn't there like a code or some, you know, random like letter or, or something. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, I'm we're obviously just speculating here because we don't know, but maybe like a satanic type thing, or do you know what I mean? Like, that's that's what I envision when they talk about moved in stage the killer. Yeah. So like, I, I what? Yeah, I know I'm kind of rambling, but what I know what do you mean? Like, I feel like he didn't move the bodies from the scene but he may have moved them within the scene if that makes yeah sense. that's what i think too like yeah put them in like a sitting up position so yeah you or know like, like yeah yeah like yeah sitting up against a wall for example or laying yeah. next to each other or you know something like that so yeah i agree yeah because and this is kind i of feel a- like the time frame was so short i don't think he would have had time to kill them move them to a whole new location and then position them and things like that without anyone noticing and being and then escaping you know capture for this long i feel like it was probably yeah just moved at the scene yeah because i feel like even if he took them from the scene quickly he would have had a hard time bringing them back because people are searching pretty late into the night they're back pretty early in the morning um i don't think he would have been able to do that very easily yeah i agree but it's also kind of, I don't even know how this information is like getting out now. I know um, some podcasts, the, I'll, I'll credit them. I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but they did like a Freedom of Information Act request and got this information. But I'm pretty sure that all of this was sealed. Like why wouldn't, journalists would have definitely tried to get this. So I don't know how really it's getting out, but the police have said it is the real information. But it kind of shows the point of why they don't always want this information out because even just like the move in stage could be taken so many different ways and then people kind of, their imaginations go wild. I think the podcast is the Murder Sheet podcast. Yeah, so. I knew it was, I wasn't sure yeah. it was like spreadsheet. Or- <laughs> <laughs> no, Murder Sheet, I've just double checked. But yeah, they have done a whole bunch of work on this. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I don't know either. I, I'm puzzled as to why it's all able to come out now, especially when I know- it's an open investigation. I know one of them, because I looked them up when I came out, one of them is a lawyer, I think, or was a lawyer, so I don't know if they 
like know some secret ways to like get what they want but i don't know we need to learn the tricks <laughs> yeah i just i'll just go to law school just <laughs> um so some other information the agent suspected the murderer physically removed something or took um photos to memorialize the crime scene i feel like that probably kind of goes along with like it looks like maybe they were staged for a photo or something which is yeah. all so creepy Crime scene investigators also recovered unknown fibers and unidentified hairs. I feel like I remember, I'm like trying not to be long-winded, but I feel like this is the only one that I'll really be long-winded about because we both like have known this case forever. I feel like there was like a rumor or someone said something about like dog hairs or something. Yes, I do remember found that. on one of them. Yeah. And I just, neither like, of them I had just, a dog. With this one, I just feel like there's so many contradictions in this case because he was sloppy enough to let Libby video him and, you know, take footage of him, but then he just seems to have gotten away with it. Like I just, it feels like such a sloppy crime, but for some reason he still hasn't been caught. And it's also weird because if they're thinking it's Key and Klein who, I mean, I don't know, he could have a history of being like a serial murderer and being uncaught, but he kind of, from what has been gathered seems like a dumb idiot who just likes 16 year old girls yeah it's like is he really the type that's gonna be staging bodies and maybe maybe it's like a weird fetish type thing yeah like maybe know. not in like a satanic way just in like a gross kink way i think i said to you once this information about the search warrant came out that i'm just even more confused now because i really thought it was probably likely keegan klein after that other information came out but now with this ron logan information it's I don't know. I don't know what's going on anymore. I definitely don't think Ron Logan's involved. And I do think Keegan Klein is involved or knows something in some capacity. Because I don't, with the, how tight-lipped they've been about everything, I don't think they would have put his name out there so confidently if they didn't know he was involved in some way. And for people who don't remember off the top of their head, one of the other past like updates we did, or it might have been in the main episode we did on this, but... The original thing that like came out about Keegan Klein that the murder sheets found was a transcript of an interview with Keegan Klein that related to his child pornography charges, but they were asking him about Delphi. And they made a point of saying that two accounts or two different people, like two different phones, were accessing the Anthony Schatz like Snapchat or accounts. And that they knew that it wasn't just him using on two different things because of the way the people spoke. So they knew that two different people were using this profile and they're asking him who else had access to it. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, some people are speculating. Again, this is all just rumors that his dad could be involved because the officer yeah. also did make the point of saying that it was coming from the same house. And the dad, I think, also has some type of child gross charges and i feel like a lot of people have said that the dad actually looks more like the he does on the bridge than keegan does <laughs> he does um, there's uh, i'm sure we have pictures on our blog but once this comes out i could put find the pictures and use it for the subtly use it for the promo but you guys will all know that we're look we're comparing here but the dad <laughs> does look more like the guy on the bridge um but again who knows this is all just theories speculating so the warrant that came out that was old again we said there was they talked about they were kind of it seems like they were kind of putting some blame on ron logan at this time because at the time he did seem suspicious he was lying to them and also they wanted to get a search warrant for his property i mean sure could it be ron logan maybe some people believe that i like i said i don't really believe that but it also says women interviewed about 
Ron said he'd been violent with them in the past, one remarking she was frightened of him. Both women told investigators they thought Ron was the man in the video. The search warrant also stated that Ron's voice is not inconsistent with that of the person in the video. They should have just said is consistent. Yeah. <laughs> and I just add a few more words. In. Double <laughs> make, it, make, make it more official with some words. <laughs> yeah. Um, authorities also said that Ron owned numerous weapons, including handguns and knives. Police knew about the items because they'd searched his home as part of the investigation into a probation violation. Um, the search was limited to firearms and only included his main home. The search warrant also states that the infamous down-the-hill footage that Libby took before she died is actually 43 seconds long. We've only heard a snippet or a second or two of it. You um, have to wonder why it was only 43 seconds long. Like, I wonder if he took the phone then, because essentially she probably could have left it rolling, even if she had the phone in her pocket or, you know, like wherever her phone was. Do you know what I mean? I figure there must be a reason for it only being that long. But it's also weird because didn't they, like, say they had, like, audio that was much longer or something? Or is yeah, that just also... There's so much maybe conflicting info. Yeah. Or it could have been um, maybe, I don't... Because it said that she took the video with her front-facing camera. I know they were, like, Snapchatting. Could it be because it was, like, Snapchat and there's, like, a limit on how long the video is? I don't know. Through the document, we also learned that Ron lied about his alibi. He told investigators a friend picked him up from home February 13th between 2 p.m. and 2.30. So they go to the aquarium store in Lafayette. And he contacted a family member on the morning of February 14th and instructed them to tell police about the trip. He also asked the family member to say they'd returned home between 5 and 5.30. Investigators did find a receipt from the store dated February 13th with a checkout time of 5.21 during a March 6, 2017 search related to the probation violation. It would take Logan about 30 minutes to get from the store to his home, putting the 5 p.m. 5.30 timeline in doubt. Investigators believe Ron lied about his alibi, making statements that were found to be factually false and intentionally designed to deceive law enforcement. Cell phone tower showed Ron's cell phone was in Delphi in the area near the Monon High Bridge Trail on the afternoon of February 13th. Um, a text message sent from his phone at 7.56 p.m. on February 13th indicated the phone was likely outside of his residence and in the proximity of the murder scene. So Ron Logan, he died in January 2022, apparently from COVID. <laughs> and Olivia wrote, <laughs> Olivia wrote, I will honestly die if he's the killer. <laughs> I don't think he is. I feel like, because I also remember, this is why it's like all this comes out and people who haven't had to obsessively follow this case like me, like you hear all that and you're like, oh my God, it's like totally him. But I also remember there's only like two cell phone towers in Delphi. One's near like the high bridge area and one's a little further away. So I remember that was like a problem too of why where the cell phones ping because there was only Everyone's like two towers. <laughs> yeah. But I think yeah. that maybe at the time they were suspicious of him. Everyone was because he was clearly lying. But I also think they were doing this because they wanted the search warrant for his property and they have to prove like reasonable, like a doubt over why they think he could be involved. I mean, maybe he knows something. Maybe he knew, like say it's Keegan Klein's dad and maybe Ron Logan like knew the dad or something. I don't know. I don't see him as the killer though, personally. I just had to double check to make sure there's nothing. And yeah, that was, they were the most recent updates from a month ago. So things seem to have gone pretty quiet again in that case. It's definitely an interesting case, one that I can clearly talk about forever. So <laughs> hopefully. Mess message, message Stephanie if you want to chat about it because she'll chat about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> no, please don't. I, don't. I can chat about it all day, but it doesn't mean I necessarily want to. <laughs> 
It depends on my mood. <laughs> um, it's just one of those cases where I'm always like, oh, I remember this. And then you're talking about it more and you're like, oh, remember that and remember this. So um, there's just so many players and parts to it. It's, yeah, yeah, a very complex one. Hoping it gets solved because I would, I'm dying to know everything. So the next episode that we did was on missing children, Michael Vaughan and Dulce Alaves. Um, Both of those children are still missing. Dulce went missing in New Jersey in 2019. Basically, the only real update is that if she is still alive, she would have turned eight years old um, in April this year. So there's nothing really happening with that. Just seems to kind of every now and then there'll be a, you know, a short media article. Yeah, like a memorial. Yeah, like an anniversary kind of acknowledgement and things like that. So just a few weeks ago too, it marked 10 minutes. 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 10 minutes. 10 minutes. So just three weeks ago, it marked 10 months since Michael Vaughan went missing from Fruitland in Idaho. Um, he is still missing. I've seen online there's a lot of kind of infighting between, you know, people who believe they know what happened to him and, you know, but he is still missing at the end of the day. In March this year, um, there was some legislation put forward to the Idaho Senate, which was called Monkey's Law, and that um, legislation will help to develop an alert that will help if an instance similar to Michael's takes place again. Brandy Neal, who's Michael's mother, spoke and she said, I want everyone to contact the representatives because what if this happened to one of their family members? What if this happened to their baby? So that, I guess, is one good positive thing to come out of this tragic situation. Mm-hmm. Um, that they this may help anyone who's in a you know similar scenario again. Yeah. So next case we did with an update, we're just going to go through and talk about the ones like with actual updates that we haven't talked about already. So if you think that we missed one, there's an we have an update episode on it somewhere. And if you're um, not sure, also you can message us. We get messages all the time. People saying, "Hey, has there been anything new on this case?" And we'll always have a look for you and see if there is. But you know, and we do a- try to keep the blogs updated. Yeah, sadly, most of the, you know, a lot of these cases haven't had an update. No, especially as we get closer to like current episodes. Yeah. So the next one with an update that we did is Harmony Montgomery and Oakley Carlson. So for Oakley Carlson, they're both little girls that were missing for over a year. Those mysterious ones are like, how has no one seen this kid for two years? Um, if you remember that episode, Oakley, there's been no updates on her really, but Harmony, there's been small updates. Um, so on June 14th, 2022, police returned to Harmony's former home in New Hampshire to search again for her. Authorities were seen removing evidence, including a refrigerator from a home on Union Street where her dad and stepmother, Adam, and his now estranged wife, Kayla Montgomery, had lived. Um, and with this one, remember Harmony, she had a brother who was adopted by Jonathan Miller, who's like a journalist. He said, "Um, we've been told by officials that this will probably not have a good outcome or not the outcome we'd hoped for, for Jameson and Harmony to be reunited together. So Jameson's the brother. Um, He also said, we've always held on to hope that Jameson and Harmony could be together again. But today that hope feels like it's being ripped away from us, especially Jameson. So, I mean... Sadly, I feel like we are have all assumed that she is no longer alive. 
There is an article from today um, where they've interviewed former FBI agent Jennifer Coffendarfer, and she has said to them that she wouldn't be surprised, basically, if they had found some tissue or body parts. She said, if they found a body part, body or body parts in a freezer, law enforcement would want to maintain the level of decomposition. I have a really creepy feeling about this. It's not good, <laughs> which seems like kind of a weird quote for an FBI agent or former FBI agent. But yeah, she's also a little dramatic, to be honest. But <laughs> yeah. The one thing that did blow my mind with this search is why didn't they do this earlier? How how can they actually still be finding things that haven't been found this long after Harmony disappeared? I just I just don't understand. Well, because I guess how long has it been? It's still been a while since she's actually been reported missing. Wasn't it like November or something? It was in yeah. the fall. Yeah. So, I mean, it's still a long time, but it's not like years. But still, like, why didn't they do this in the fall? I feel like, yeah, there should have been a thorough search done, you know, before this, essentially, especially a search where they could actually be finding things like, you know, not just a tip off where someone said, oh, we might, we might have seen her in this location. This house was linked to Harmony and the family. And they'd been there before. Yeah, absolutely. So I just don't understand what's going on. And I saw, (laughs) um, I don't think Brian Enton's there, but someone for News Nation must be or someone sending him stuff because he's been posting about it. And they also said that they had cameras going down um, into like to check the sewer and like the septic and that they were like removing stuff, too. So, I mean, they must have found I'm assuming they found something to take the whole fridge. New tonight in the Harmony Montgomery investigation, we're getting a good look inside the Manchester, New Hampshire apartment where police seized evidence in that investigation earlier this week. Boston 25 was there as FBI and local police recovered a refrigerator and other items from the apartment on Union Street where Harmony's father and stepmother briefly lived. Boston 25 news reporter Bob Ward toured the apartment today. He joins us live from Manchester Police Headquarters with with more. Bob, you saw the specific locations in that apartment that had the attention of investigators here. Yeah, that's right, Kerry. The apartment itself is very, very small. It's a one-bedroom unit. But today, we could clearly see the kind of evidence that police seized in this massive search. 644 Union Street, apartment number two, Manchester, New Hampshire. This is where Adam and Kayla Montgomery, Harmony Montgomery's father and stepmother, once lived. It was the focus of a massive police search on Tuesday. Today, the current resident, a woman we'll call Ginger, let me inside to see the apartment. It's heartbreaking to be in the apartment that you think something might have happened in. You're crying for like days, so. Oh my God. Just. This has impacted you. Definitely. The apartment itself is a small one bedroom. It's being repaired, but we can clearly see the pieces that police collected as evidence and took away. In the kitchen, there's a new refrigerator in place. The previous refrigerator was seized as evidence. That fridge is supposedly um, a new fr- newer fridge. It wasn't there when they were here. A lot of the stuff the, the maintenance man was telling me was not here when they were there. There's three other tenants before me. There is extensive flooring that's been removed too in the kitchen, in a hallway, and into the bedroom. Just to be clear, this was carpet before. Yep. It's gone. Mm -hmm. And there was tile over there Mm -hmm. off the kitchen, and that's got to be replaced. Yeah. And in the bedroom, a ladder stands in the closet where a worker has been trying to rebuild it. It appears police were very interested in this closet. The closet is just all ripped up. So they took things out of the closet. They took my stuff out of the closet, and then they took the walls of the closet. And there was a shelf and a bar, and that's all gone. So this, they just came in and redid it. 
just for anyone who's not across this case, Harmony went was last seen in 2019, but she wasn't reported missing until December 2021. So um, there's been a large window of time, I guess, where they could have disposed of the body or do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. All right. So the next case that still seems to be getting a lot of media updates, not surprisingly really, is the case of Ethan Crumbly. Ethan is a 15-year-old teenager who carried out a mass shooting at Oxford High School in Michigan in 2021. His family are still the worst. His parents were also (laughs) arrested um, basically because they did nothing to stop him carrying out the shooting they knew that he had issues you know, and handed him a gun yeah yeah exactly bought him the gun on black in the black friday sale i'm pretty sure that was his case wasn't it yeah <laughs> all right so in may 2022 his parents jennifer and jason crumbly asked a judge to void the charges against them they've pled not guilty to the four counts of involuntary manslaughter because the prosecutor has said that they gave their son easy access to a gun and they disregarded signs that he was a threat which is why they've been charged Um, attorneys for the Crumbly parents said in the court documents that the charges have no legal justification and that they should not be held responsible for their killings their son did. They are absolutely wiping their hands of Ethan um, Mm -hmm. just, I guess, to try and save themselves. Yeah. Their attorneys said in the court documents, the Crumblies did not counsel Ethan in the commission of the school shooting or act jointly with Ethan in any way. To the contrary, the Crumblies had no knowledge that their son intended to commit multiple homicides, nor did any common enterprise exist. And then it says, certainly if the prosecution could link Mr. or Mrs. Crumbly to the mass shooting, they would be prosecuted for first degree murder as if they had directly committed the offence. However, because the prosecution cannot support such a claim, they are left attempting to fit a square peg in a round hole and the information must be quashed. So the evidence that the Crumbly parents have asked to exclude are Ethan's 22-page journal in which he wrote about his plans to shoot up the high school, text messages between Ethan and a friend where he told the friend that his mum laughed at him when he asked for help and that his father told him to suck it up, (laughs) Um, Ethan's internet searches and evidence related to his Instagram posts. So he had photos of guns and, you know, all that on his Instagram um, they also want to exclude discussion of the Crumbly's hobby of riding horses, which don't know why that is <laughs> needs to be excluded. But anyway, it just and, seems like elitist. <laughs> and they also want to have their alleged marital discord excluded. So it's believed that Jennifer was having a bunch of affairs and their marriage wasn't very stable. They have also asked that testimony related to a bird head found in a jar in Ethan's room be excluded, and that their involvement with alcohol, marijuana, and a coin from Nazi Germany, which was found in their home, not be presented. (laughs) So Um, anything that makes them look bad. Yeah, basically. (laughs) So there is a hearing on the motions that's been scheduled for June 27. So we will update you once that happens and that there's a tentative trial date has been set for October 24. They're idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's, yeah, I agree. The next one that has a small update that we did is Lauren Smith-Fields. So Lauren Smith-Fields was found dead in her apartment in December 2021. She had met a man off um, the dating app Bumble and basically the kind of story is that he woke up in the morning and she was dead. He called 911. Her official cause of death was an overdose, but her parents have and her family have always kind of disputed that and said that, you know, she wasn't the type to take the drugs and different things like that. So it's kind of an ongoing um you know yeah investigation 
The demands for justice for a woman found dead under mysterious circumstances. Lauren Smith Fields was found unresponsive in her apartment after meeting a man on a popular dating app. And her family claims police handling the case should be doing more. ABC Zachary Keish has the story. This morning, the family of Lauren Smith Fields is looking for answers. I just could not believe that my little, my baby sister was gone. Somebody who I love, somebody who I protected, somebody who I've been around my whole entire life. Like I literally held her when she was born. According to the Bridgeport, Connecticut police report, on December 12th, authorities found a young adult black female lying on her back that did not appear to be breathing. A man who says he met Lauren on a dating app called the police. That man, who we are not identifying, says he had only known her for three days and visited her apartment for the first time the night before when he claimed she got sick. The morning of December 12th, that man noticed Smithfield's nose was bleeding and she was not breathing. That's when he called 911. The family says the man is the last known person to see Lauren alive. Police say he's not a suspect or a person of interest and that they do not suspect foul play. We want all the people of Bridgeport to be treated fairly and equally under the law. That didn't happen here. And everyone listening to this story needs to know that Lauren Smith-Fields wasn't given the treatment that she should have been given. Now, Smith-Fields' family have taken the initial steps to sue the city of Bridgeport and the police department. Um, so in April 2022, the state house in Connecticut unanimously passed legislation inspired by Lauren Smith-Fields' death. Police will now be required to notify family members of their loved one's death within 24 hours. Lauren's mother said it will help us sleep a little better at night because um, they weren't alerted about Lauren's death for a while after they actually found out like through her landlord. And that was one of the big issues is that like the police should have tried harder to notify them. Her dad, Everett Smith, said the bill, quote, sends a message to police dealing with this type of tragedy to extend themselves in a professional manner and show sympathy and that they'll be held accountable if they don't. Because there was also another case kind of that happened around the same time with another black woman whose family, again, wasn't notified right away or like in an acceptable amount of time. So that one's still ongoing. Um, Hopefully there'll be an update eventually and when there's a real update we'll definitely post about it definitely all right so the next episode that we have an update with is our social scammer up up update (laughs) episode social scammer episode we spoke about um kind of three women who were big on social media who are basically allegedly scamming Coco Berthman, Brittany Dawn and Belle Gibson. Um, Brittany Dawn, there aren't really any updates in her legal process yet. She's been sued by Texas, the state of Texas, for kind of misleading people in terms of her weight loss and fitness program. But that still is ongoing, I believe. Nothing much has happened except that she's changed her hair colour. So that is some good news. She's still very, very insufferable on social media. Like if you want to be annoyed, just go look at her Instagram. She's so annoying. Yeah, she's <laughs> the worst. No yeah, self-awareness. No. And no um no she takes no responsibility either. Her her no. argument for everything that she's ever done wrong in the past is that now she's a changed woman and has found God. So But she'll still should... post things like when she like she posts about her religious journey and how she found God and she'll you know post about how she struggled with 
eating disorders in the past and how she thought she like gave herself up to men too easily which is all all fine to say like you overcame those things but then it turns into when people tried to cancel me on the internet so people tried to cancel you on the internet because you were scamming people (laughs) not because yeah just not because they didn't like what you were doing you were actually harming some people and giving you know harmful advice yeah so she has no self-awareness yeah, sorry. She's still going. She hasn't been cancelled yet. The other one, Coco Berthman is a woman who said that she escaped human trafficking. She was very um, kind of prolific in that space. She called herself a human rights advocate. But basically, she said earlier this year that she had cancer. There was a GoFundMe started for her. It turns out she never had cancer. She, she, she told her followers that she had stage three mantle cell lymphoma. It was fake. She has now been charged with communications fraud, which is a second-degree felony. So she's very gone pretty quiet. She'd make a few TikToks, I think, after the initial um, kind of allegations came out, but she has been very quiet. Yeah. Yeah, so that will obviously be an ongoing thing as well. We'll have to do a new scammer episode soon. Those ones are always Mm. fun because you can, like, kind of be a little silly. Yeah. So just the next one is the case of missing brothers Oren and Orson West. They were last seen in California City, California on December 21, 2020. They've never, ever been found, but um, in the episode that we did not too long ago, I think we mentioned that their parents or their adoptive parents, Trizel and Jacqueline West, have been charged in relation to their murder. They've been charged with second-degree murder, two counts of cruelty to a child and falsely reporting an emergency. Um, The only real update in that case is that the trial has been postponed and is now due to start in July this year. So we'll keep you updated on that. Um, Next, we did an episode on Sherry Papini. I'm sure most people know this one. She pretended she got abducted in 2016 by two Spanish women and ended up faking the whole thing. It was big news. So I'm sure we have all are aware of the case. We're not to do like a summary, really. But anyways, the only... Real update with this one now. It's probably finally coming to a close, but in a shocking twist, Keith has finally filed for divorce, which I didn't see coming. But also, I guess, like, what's he got to lose at this fucking point? I know, I know. Like, I feel when I read these documents, I was like, good for Keith. He actually seems to be finally standing up for himself. Um, Yeah, I'm team Keith. (laughs) Yeah, like good i didn't think he had the balls to do it he kind of no. seemed like he was gonna let sherry walk all over him for the rest of his life so good for him glad he did it so according to the documents keith is asking for all their property including exclusive use of their rented home in redding their three cars a ford majestic motorhome and a correct craft wakeboard boat he's asked the court to relieve him of responsibility for all of sherry's financial dramas her debts which include two unsecured loans for her mother-in-law kathleen and any obligations arising from her criminal behavior keith also spoke about sherry being arrested this year in the divorce documents and spoke about how it affected their kids he said they were traumatized again after she was released from jail she assured them that the arrest was all a mistake the children have now learned that their mother lied to them about her disappearance lied to them about how she was abused by two hispanic women and lied to them about her arrest The fact that their mother lied to them on such a major issue is something they and I are having a hard time dealing with. We, both the children and I, need time to recover and stabilize. Both I and especially our children were traumatized by our disappearance, and I spent much time and money trying to find my wife. 
the trauma inflicted on our children at the unexpected loss of their mother was heartbreaking. And he concluded the statement by saying, I'm asking the court to help me protect my children from the negative impact on their mother's notoriety. I guess one kind of good thing in that case is that the kids are still pretty young. They're nine and seven. So maybe if he can get out now and kind of distance them from this whole mess as they get a little bit older, it may be a little bit easier for them, hopefully. But yeah, it sounds like it's been a lot. It seems like he's a a good dad, at least. Yes, got their interests in heart, hopefully. Mm -hmm. All right, the next case is the case of Kyron Horman. He is a child who went missing from Portland, Oregon. June 4, 2022 marked 12 years since he disappeared. You might remember Kyron from his kind of infamous science fair photo that was taken on the day he vanished. He was just kind of standing in front of his tree frog project smiling wearing his little FBI CSI shirt. CSI. Very cute. CSI. Yeah. So the main suspect in Kyron's case has always been his stepmother Terry Horman. Um, The only kind of real update is that the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children have released a new age-progressed photo of Chiron on the anniversary of his disappearance. So there there have been three age-progressed photos of Chiron over the the years, so he would now be 19 or 20, which is heartbreaking, Um, and I guess it just shows you what he could look like. Um, The age-progressed photos? (laughs) Yeah, they basically all the same his face just gets a little bigger and more square yeah Yeah. um his mother Desiree also so his biological mother Desiree has kind of been his biggest advocate she spoke to the media on the anniversary and she said making the drive in for 12 years and pulling up to the school and knowing this was the last place Kyron was I can't even explain the anguish and the heartache so still nothing really happening I'm still I would be shocked if they ever probably find out what happened to Kyron really at this point yeah next case with an update is naomi urian that was a big one that kind of fell into radio silence that everyone was following um naomi she was abducted from a walmart parking lot in nevada in march 2022 and her alleged murderer is a man named troy driver the trial for naomi's accused murderer troy seems to be sluggishly moving along the pre-trial date is set for July 5th, and we'll update once things start moving with that. The July hearing will introduce the prosecutor's evidence in the case against Troy Driver, who is accused of murdering, kidnapping, um, robbing her, burglary, and destruction of evidence. Her sister, who was always kind of the mouthpiece for the family, Tammy, she said, we need to do this for Naomi. And she's also moving to reno from texas she wants because she wants to be there for everything regarding her sister so that's another one where just literally no information's come out like nothing about why they think he did this why he's still to the case like yeah still don't know if it was absolutely totally random or if they had somehow encountered each other or yeah we just it's kind of nothing and i guess he's been like adamantly not cooperating with police Mm -hmm. obviously and is still denying that he even, like, knows who she is, I guess. All right. Next one. Mm-hmm. So we've had a few messages asking if there's been any updates with the Turpin family case. If you're not familiar with it, you need to really check out the episode because it's one of the most horrific kind of child abuse cases that we've ever discussed. There were 13 Turpin children who were abused for years and years by their parents um, and basically they were kind of rescued, if you can call it that, in 2018. But since the children were removed from their parents and the parents are now in prison, a lot of them have endured still 
a lot of abuse from their foster families. It's basically they've been failed time and time again. The Riverside County, who has kind of been in charge of their care, has commissioned an independent report in regards to the case of the Turpin children, and that is due to be released this month. It still hasn't been released as of recording, so as soon as it is, we'll post it on our social media. The county hired Stephen Larson, who's a retired judge, and they hired him after there was a 2020 report basically on the failures of the county to the Turpin children. As of March this year, Stephen's team had reviewed 2,600 documents and interviewed more than 85 people, including two of the Turpin siblings, which I feel like they probably should have interviewed all of the siblings. But anyway, I don't know what's going on with that. Hopefully soon we will hear something. Seems like the two, I wonder if the two who did like the Diane Sawyer interview, Jordan and the other sister, they kind of seem to be the more outspoken ones. Yeah. When I was looking um, to see if there were any more updates, the most recent update is from May 28 and the headline is Turpin's siblings now have a large TikTok following. (laughs) So yeah. yeah, Jordan's still making TikToks. Jennifer and Jordan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So give them a follow. Yeah. Um, next we did Courtney Taylor. She is the OnlyFans Instagram influencer who allegedly murdered her partner, Toby, in April 2022. There's debate on if it was self-defense or not was the big talking point of it. Really, nothing has happened publicly in the case. Um, Toby's family did appear on Dr. Phil, so we'll put in some clips from that. I'm glad to meet you, but very sorry for the circumstance. I just can't imagine how you are feeling right now. I absolutely hate this for you, but we're here to to talk about this and get this story out there and hopefully have some impact, right? Absolutely. We want your audience to know how they found out about the killing and which was uh, very, very insulting how they found out about it. They had no idea that Toby Uh, had been killed. They found out when someone from the medical examiner called requesting they to donate the organs. Which one of you got that call? I got that call. So you did not know anything had happened? No. Nobody called me. I'm shocked. That's just inconceivable. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Yes, I was at work and the lady said that she's calling to know if I'll give them the permission for Toby to donate his organs. And I'm like, what? Donate what? I told her, I said, ma'am, I don't understand what you're saying. And she asked me, are you saying that the medical examiner's office has not contacted you? And that was on Monday. I gave my sister the number to call. And that's how we got to know that Toby was killed. The way the news came to me was very, very inhuman and devastating. And we got to know that it happened on Sunday. So this happened on Sunday and you didn't learn about it until you got this out of the blue call on Monday. Yes. Um, I'll put in some clips, but basically what they end up saying is the same things they've been saying, that um, he wouldn't have put her in a position where she would have to feel like she has to stab him to defend herself. 
I still can't believe nothing's really happened with that. Like it's been two months and there's literally like even the articles, 18th of April, 11th of April, there's nothing. So um, you would think even maybe there would be some type of police statement. I guess the investigation is still ongoing. but Yeah, it might be a hard one to like prove because it's very he said, she said, and he's dead. So yeah, that one was big when it happened. It was all over TMZ. Um. No, nothing. All right. So we're getting into our kind of really recent episodes now. So hopefully these should be still fresh in your mind. The next one where there has been an update is about the murder of Osoya Gal. Osoya was murdered in May. So just last month, May 2022, her body was found shoved in a bag. A man that she'd been having an affair with named David Bonola was arrested and charged with her murder. The main kind of update is that he has told police that he killed Orsolia because he believed she infected him with HIV. He said she was cheating on me with someone and she gave me HIV. She lied to me and she used me. She told me that she loved me, but that she couldn't be with one person. She took a phone call from another guy and said that she was going to see him. He said that made me angry. I couldn't accept it. She kept saying, I hate you and stabbed me in the left hand. And then he said that Osoya grabbed the knife first and began threatening him. He said, I grabbed the knife and cut her in the neck. She kept moving, so I stabbed her. So David has been indicted on 13 counts, which include two counts of murder in the second degree, two counts of burglary, concealment of a human corpse, criminal possession of a weapon and tampering with evidence. So his court um, proceedings are still ongoing and we'll update you with those as they come along. He's one of those people where you're just like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, literally no one cares about you. I bet he doesn't even have HIV. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if they've actually even proved – I guess, he, you know, his thing is he believed that she gave him HIV. So, yeah, I feel like that's – he's just making shit up. Looking for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, dude, you already murdered her. You don't need to try to slander her name now. Um, The next episode we did was the Rideshare Gone Wrong episode there – was a big update with Felicia Johnson. She went missing on April 16, 2022. She was the one where her family believed that she went to Texas and she was there. She was celebrating her birthday. She might have tried to get a job at a strip club. um, And then it was believed that she might have taken a ride from someone after she was waiting for an Uber. There's some big controversies about what actually happened. But Anyways, big update is that police have charged a man named Chuck Wubuka Nwobodo. It is a difficult name to say, so I apologize if that's wrong, but not really because he's a murderer. He's an alleged murderer. Yeah, so doesn't deserve to have his name right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is 28 years old, but looks like he's 40. So this info comes from KHOU.com. It says, according to documents, Nuoboto ordered the Uber ride for Felicia after she posted an advertisement on an escort website. He then picked Felicia up at an apartment complex in the 3200 block of Windchase Boulevard, which is the address of an apartment from which he recently moved. He made the following incriminating Google searches after Felicia disappeared. Um, Just side note, I feel like we recently did another case where the Google searches were like, Google searches will always incriminate you. Just don't do it. Don't yeah. think like, I can clear my history. No, you can't. <laughs> the police will always, unless it's Jelani Day's case where they don't have the, the phone. They're like, we can't get in the phone. I don't know. <laughs> it's fucking um. stupid. Um, so on April 20th, they said that his 
searches. He looked up if bleach and vinegar vinegar could destroy DNA. On the 21st, he searched for the most forested part of Houston. Several days later, on April 27th, he searched how to delete history completely. Um, The next day, documents say the account searched for multiple ways on how to get away with murder. And he also looked up 15 cheapest places to live in the world, $1,000 a month. So one other thing that is actually quite terrifying is that on his phone, they found photos of a dismembered woman and they also found photos of three other dead people. So they haven't really elaborated on this if they think he's responsible for this or if he just somehow found the photos. But Like went on Rotten.com. Yeah, it's very strange. Like it seems like... like I have seen lots of speculation that maybe they think he's a serial killer. There is a um, article from a few days ago and the title is authorities send warning for thousands after Felicia Johnson is murdered and dismembered. And that basically they've said that people who work in the sex industry should be very, you know, alert. Catherine Griffin, who's the human trafficking victim services director said, anyone can become a victim of a villain It is dangerous and every media outlet should be screaming from the rooftops on how dangerous this is and let stories like this be known. So, But also I feel like my thought is, again, this is just my opinion. I don't really know anything about anything. I feel like if he was like a serial killer, why would he suddenly now be Googling like how to hide a body, how to murder, how, where to put this body? Um, I feel like maybe he was just gross and like liked seeing dismembered bodies and that's kind of what finally led him to do this. Yeah, like I guess, you know, essentially every serial killer has to start somewhere. So maybe this was his kind of research, you know, and he just he decided to kill Felicia and set it up. But I guess, you know, we don't know if it was the first or. Yeah, like if you're saving pictures of dismembered bodies <laughs> on your phone, you got to problem like i know everyone's had like their curious moment where you watched like a beheading video when you were too young and immediately regretted it but like you're not saving that to your phone to keep for later (laughs) no i definitely don't save that on my phone (laughs) so then on may 3rd um his account searched if police could check the phone records of a missing person and if police can unlock a phone during an investigation According to documents, those searches came days after Felicia's bloody phone was found in Bear Creek Park. So it seems like he heard that they found her phone and then did some more Googling. Another case we talked about on the episode was of Ella Goody. It's been three months that she's been missing. On June 9th, it was. She was last seen on March 9th after accepting a ride After accepting a ride-share job to drive someone from Louisiana to Texas, a man named Brandon Francisco was arrested as a person of interest, but Ella remains missing. Despite the arrest, some of her family do not believe she's dead. Um, Her cousin, Amy Washington, said, It don't make me feel no type of way because I don't believe it's a homicide because there's no body. How can it be a homicide when there's no body that's been found? I don't believe it. Next one with an update kind of is Brittany Drexel, just that there was a celebration of life service held for her in Rochester, New York on June 11th. Um, As you know, because you listened to the episode, she went missing on a spring break trip in Myrtle Beach in 2009 and her remains were found this year. Brittany's sister spoke. She said, 13 years later, and I'm wearing your remains around my neck. We love doing hair and makeup together. You would get mad at me for taking your shoes because we were so close in sizes. You, me, and mom, and your hair straightener and blow dryer because I couldn't find mine. 
um, and she was crying happy tears. She said, Brittany would want to be remembered as the person she was before she went missing and before this tragedy happened to her. So what I want from all of you is a smile, not a tear. Brittany would light up every room and every person she crossed in her life. She would put others before herself. I guess, yeah, still, I guess, must be a relief for them to have some type of closure after so long. Yeah, just probably just always wondering what happened is probably one of the worst parts. And not being able to have a resting place or to actually start the grieving process because you didn't know what happened to her would have been horrible. Yeah. So we're now up to our most recent episode and that's the murder of Mariah Wilson allegedly by Caitlin Armstrong. This was kind of a love triangle one. Mariah had allegedly been seeing Colin Strickland who was Caitlin's long-term boyfriend Caitlin allegedly shot Mariah and went on the run. Um, we did get an update that she was seen flying to LaGuardia Airport and then we didn't hear much after that until recently. We also heard that she may have been seen in Newark Airport. Um, so there's been kind of lots of speculation about maybe she fled to Canada. Just in the last few days, um, there's been a few articles saying that she may have visited a remote campground in upstate New York um, and that she may also be using her sister Christine's name and kind of ID and alias to get around. They spoke to someone at the Camp Haven compound in Livingston Manor who said she was here a while back, just before, right before the whole thing blew up. And that's in regards to actually Christine Armstrong, Caitlin's sister being there. So I don't know. I feel like her family definitely know more than what they've said because they keep giving like weird statements <laughs> and I think I said in the episode too that her dad said he spoke to her I think it was May 19 yeah. which is like four or five days after she vanished so you know I feel like there has to be some type of family communication going on um Christine the sister has been interviewed by U.S. Marshals and law enforcement <laughs> and this article says calls to a number listed in her name went unanswered and her mailbox was full <laughs> Um, so I still can't believe that she hasn't been found as of June 16 to 17 out, you know, recording time. Yeah. I'll have to keep an eye out because those New York areas are like an hour from me. (laughs) I feel like she was in the country though. Yeah. She could very well be in Canada now, but there's a, um, another photo that we posted the other day of Caitlin where she looks actually totally different to the other photos where that we've seen it she has like this weird kind of helmet hair <laughs> that you get after you know you've had a hat or a helmet on she looks totally different I probably wouldn't even say that the two you know what I mean like if you looked at a photo of her with her long red hair versus this photo I wouldn't be sure it's the same person yeah so I feel like she could very easily change her distinctive red hair and be unrecognizable yeah but Definitely. yeah so that is it I think yeah, that's all the updates so far. I'm sure there'll be a big update with something as soon as we're <laughs> we're done with this because this one will come out for a bit. But everything we'll have we have blogs for all these cases already, so all the updates will be on there. If you just go to True Crime Society blog.com, you can find info on all these cases, any documents, videos, pictures, whatever. Follow we also also list all the clips that we use there too so if you want to watch you know more of a clip that we've included we always put them on the blog yeah um follow us on instagram that's where we kind of post like the updates the most all throughout the day at true crime society you can follow our personal accounts if you want to learn more about us mine is steph sum underscore olivia's is tcs olivia if you want to see what my rude cats look like or olivia's <laughs> rude dog looks like great place to, to find out <laughs> 
give us a review if you haven't already on Apple, Spotify, you can leave a rating, share the podcast with your friends and check out our sponsors. Lots of things you could do that are pretty easy to support the show and we greatly appreciate it. If you could even just share it to your Instagram story, we always reshare it. That's it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening and we'll be back next week. Peace out. See ya.